You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. What a great day to be together in church. Um, I didn't say this first service, but I did realize... uh, Ashley and Joe and Laura Beth and I were talking, and Laura Beth pointed out that for the past, I don't know how many years, every Friday, it's rained on Good Friday, and it has been sunny on Easter. I'm like, what a, what a cool, I don't know the, the stats on that, so somebody should go back and investigate. Um, but just what a, what a cool uh, picture of, of just that darkness doesn't get the final word. Man, we are so happy you're here. If you're a guest with us today, uh, my name is Matt. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here at Renovation Church uh, on Resurrection Sunday, and we, uh, we would love to introduce ourselves. This isn't going to be awkward. This isn't like stand up and tell everyone where you're from. Um, if you just want to throw a text, the word welcome to the number that's on the screen, uh, we'd love to get some information, start a conversation with you. We have a gift in the lobby on your way out the door just as a way of saying thank you for being here at church and anything we can do. Uh, we, we are here for you. We're here to serve you. And so we just say welcome. Uh, we're so glad you're here with us today as we celebrate uh, the coolest, the most incredible, impactful day um, in history. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in preparing for messages, you know, I spent a lot of time just praying and asking the Lord what to speak on. And, and usually a lot of times um, it's, it's down to the wire. It's like, all right, Lord, like I, I have no, I have nothing to offer. Like you, you know that, like everyone knows that, but I, I, I want to hear from you. And um, this week for, for some uh, really, really cool reason, God laid on my heart the, the message on Monday, which is like, it's weird for me. Usually it's like, you know, all through the week I'm churning and studying and, and the Lord put this very simple message on my heart and I'm believing in faith that it's for someone here today. Um, very, very simple as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, I actually saw this, I saw this story. You may have seen this actually live on TV, but in 2010, there was a mining accident in Chile at the San Jose uh, Gold and Copper Mine. And um, for those that don't, um, it, was a, it was a mine that, that part of the shaft collapsed and there was 33 uh, men that were trapped under the surface of the earth, 2,260 some feet below earth's surface, three miles in from the entrance of the mine. And so they, they had no idea of whether or not these men were alive or dead, they, but they said, we, we've got to do everything we can to try to get to them to see if there's any way that anyone survived this. And so they started drilling all kind of holes into all these different areas where there was big openings at these, these kind of like shelters that these men could have been in. And so they're drilling and they're drilling. Now, granted, the men that were down there had two days worth of supplies, and they could hear equipment in the distance. And finally, after day 17, a borehole punched through this opening and where they were staying. And they had already prepared a, a written note to tape on it. They were tapping on it and they could hear the tapping at the surface. And so they, they pulled up the, the, the rig and they found this note taped to uh, the end of the rig that said, we are all well in the shelter, the 33 of us. Now, so they start handing down 
supplies. In fact, they actually dropped down a camera to these men. And this is the first image that came back from these men who were down in the chamber. It's 95 degrees down in the mine. You think South Carolina's hot, right? High humidity, in isolation, in complete darkness, no food. And so they start sending supplies down. And now they're like, well, this is great. We, we know they're there, but now we have to get them out because the borehole was only like six inches. So they had equipment brought in and they started three different areas at different angles trying to get to these men and they kept drilling and kept drilling and kept drilling. And after 69 days, they finally broke through a hole big enough to get down to these men. And in fact, NASA was a part of the, this whole thing. They, they lent technology and stuff and they, they had this device called the Felix too. Uh, that they put down there and it had a cage and it had like life support in it, it had wheels on the side of it to stop them from, from bouncing back and forth along this hole on the way out. But it took 69 days for these men to finally be rescued. All of them were in, in good health afterwards, minor stuff. But like 5 million people watched this happen live. Like the, the rescue these men pulled out. Now, all of us, like you see those stories and your heart's just like, that's awesome, right? Our, our heart's full, but why? Why do we love that? Why do we love the stories of rescue and redemption is because it's what our hearts long for. In fact, the, what we celebrate today is the day in which redemption entered into our story. It, it's the day that, that defines Everything, it's a day when, when everything changed. Think about it, in the, in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world, God already had a plan on how to redeem us. And, and through the entirety of the scripture, you see this foreshadowing of, hey, one day a king is gonna come. One day the Messiah is gonna come. One day he's gonna come and he's gonna set the captives free. He's gonna restore sight to the blind. One day God is going to send a savior into the world. And today we celebrate the resurrection that the savior came and he conquered death. The rescue of humanity is what we're celebrating today. And we see this foreshadowing. And for those that were, came to a Good Friday as we worshiped, we, we talked about the cross and we, we talked about the crucifixion and we, we talked about the events leading up to Holy Week and, and through Holy Week and the last 24 hours of Jesus. But what I love is the picture that the prophet Isaiah even gives us. 700 years before Jesus gives us this description of what Jesus would endure. Isaiah 53 verse three says, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. And he was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. 
And no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. Um, As we look at the rescue, the redemption, what he endured, we see the heart of the Lord behind it all. We see the steps unfolding. We see his, his walking through torture. We see him being spit at, being the crown of thorns shoved on his head. We see him even forgiving those and asking the Lord to forgive those that are doing the very thing to him. And we see this, and we, sometimes we, we, we focus so much on just the promise of eternal life and not to see the everyday life in it. Like, All of us, every single person that walks planet Earth desires their life to have significance. They they want it to have value. They want it. I'm convinced that it's not necessarily death that people fear, but it's dying without doing something valuable and meaningful in your life. It's it's that that regret of I haven't done enough or I, I still have. I still have business to attend to. I have still things that I want to do. There's, there's things that I, I want to see happen. And it's not the dying, it's the wasting of a life. And sometimes we, we think so much about, yes, Jesus came and the resurrection is, is how we get to celebrate the promise of eternal life like in heaven with God forever. But it's also this promise of walking everyday life with the Lord of having the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said this in John 10. He says, so again, I say to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and find pasture. For the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, uh, punctuation matters. I am a, for the grammar people in the room, you would cringe around me, okay? I'm, I'm horrible with grammar and spelling. Like anytime the kids ask me how to spell a word, I always like look across the room to Ashley like, hey, you gonna jump in on this one? Because it's just one of the most freeing things was some advice a teacher gave to one of my uh, to my wife about one of my children. She's like, hey, spelling is just one of those things. People either get it or they don't. And I'm like, that's cool. I didn't get it. That's fine. Like, I get it. But like, I always add in um, unnecessary punctuation at times. Like, I am fully aware that I use ellipses, like the dot, 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 way too often and not in the right way. Like, I'm texting someone. It's like, dot, 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 something, something, dot, dot. Like, I get it. I'm fine with using it improperly. That's why I'm a verbal communicator. I don't like written communication because I'm like, oh, grammar. Grammarly is my friend. Um, You know, there's there's commas, there's colons, there's semicolons. Like, how do you pick one, you know? (laughs) But but punctuation can change a sentence, like dramatically. In fact, because Easter, because I love you, I got some illustrations for you. Uh, Here's a picture. Tables are for eating customers only. (laughs) It's not a cannibal restaurant. Like, that's... (laughs) We need a comma there, okay? Um, what about this one? Let's eat, Grandma, or let's eat, Grandma. 
Punctuation saves lives. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, attention, toilet only for disabled, elderly, pregnant children. That is a very niche market, right? It's a selective few that get to use that, that toilet. Thank you for shopping with us. Um, employees must wash hands. Do not eat at a restaurant if you see this in the restroom, okay? Did you wash your hands? Like, you know, no, no, no. I want you to wash your hands if you're gonna touch my food. Like, please. Uh, last one, just careful, guys. Curdy's here. Uh, spelling. Oh, man. In fact, I, I did this uh, when my niece was born. I texted my, my sister. I wrote, she's adorable, like in all caps, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I almost hit send, but I realized autocorrect changes adorable to adopted. <laughs> and I was like, that would have totally changed my compliment, right? She's adopted. No. <laughs> By God's grace, I saw that before I hit send. Uh, <laughs> I know it's funny, but seriously, punctuation changes it, right? It, it, it changes the story. It changes what's said. It's changed things in, in, in a very real way. In the story of my life and in the story of your life, we can unintentionally put commas where God has put periods. And we can put periods where gamma, God has put commas. And who gets to determine the punctuation in your story? Who gets to determine the last word? Who's, who's holding the pen? Who's the one that, that determines? Let me say this, and, and we're gonna look at three statements of, of fact when it comes to the resurrection. We're gonna come to these three statements. And what I love about God's statements when we make and we see God's statements, it's God's statements don't just help us to understand God more, they help us to understand us more and our point and our part in God's story. So remember, this is, this is about eternal life, but this is also about everyday life. The promise is not just, hey, I'm gonna rescue, redeem you and pull you out of the pit of sin and you confess that Jesus is Lord, you believe that God raised him from the dead. You have eternal life, the promise of it, and you just sit around doing nothing. No, he says, also says, hey, I've come so they have life and have it abundantly, meaning that you can have purpose and value in your story today. These two are interwoven together. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, we're gonna be in Matthew 27, who's begin to look at the resurrection of Jesus. But let me bring us back. So this is the final moments of Jesus' life. We've, we've witnessed him be tortured, flogged, spit at, stripped naked, beaten, abused, mocked in worship. He's been nailed to a cross. He's about to breathe his last breath. And in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. What's interesting is I was reading is that as they're celebrating the Passover, this was the day in which they would sacrifice and they would kill the lamb. And it was usually done between three and 5.30. And here we have the lamb of God and darkness falls across the surface of the land. At the very hour which 
Thousands of lambs are being slaughtered in Jerusalem. The lamb is breathing his last. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. And one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The first reality and the first statement I want to take from this is that the veil was torn. The veil is torn. Now, that may just seem like a a detail that we can kind of glimpse and, and, and glaze over, but it actually means so much. In the Old Testament, we, we have the law, right? There's these, in the beginning, there's these two opposing forces. There's a, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Like God is holy. Holy means set apart, means different, means unlike anything else. He's perfect. He's, he's holy, but yet you have the brokenness and the sinfulness of man. And so what, what, how do we write this equation? And so God gives us his, his law, these rules and, and regulations that, that uh, God's people were to follow to, to have a way of, of dealing with their sin and understanding God's holiness. So the, the law helps us to see how holy God is. And so what would happen is the, the priest, uh, especially the high priest, they would, they would sacrifice um, innocent animals as a, as a way of atonement, as a way of paying the debt of, of sin. And so you, the temple at this time was where the presence of God was, Right? So in the temple, you've got like the outer courts, you've got the inner courts, you've got the, the holy place, and then there's this room called the Holy of Holies. And it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was where the, the presence of God was. Like we, we did, people didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was, that's where God dwelt. That's where the presence of God was. And the only person that could enter into the Holy of Holies and not die was the high priest, not just a priest, the high priest. And he could only go in once a year on the day of atonement. And in fact, they, they didn't know if he was gonna die or not, so they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he died, they could, they could pull him out. And so you're like, that's a boundary I don't ever wanna cross. You walk in this room, you could die. And so what they did is they, they put a, a curtain, they put a veil up, not like a, a thin piece of linen, but this, this room, the curtain was 30 feet wide, 60 feet high, and four inches thick. It would take 300 priests in order to, to manipulate and to move this curtain. If you tied a horse at either end and sent them in opposite directions, the force of that could not rip the curtain. It couldn't rip the veil. The veil was God is so holy that he cannot be approached. There's no access to him. And this moment when Jesus breathes his last and the curtain is torn, not from bottom up, but from top down, God was saying, Jesus has made access for you and I. 
He has made a way for us to have our sins atoned for. He's made a way that God is not just approachable by one person, but all who call on the name of Jesus, who confess him to be Lord, that we boldly get to approach the throne of grace. I love what Hebrews 10 says. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Not just access to forgiveness, but access to the Father through the Son. So whether you've not yet made him Lord and Savior, the veil being torn and say, you confess Jesus, Lord, you have access to the Father. You have access to forgiveness. For those that that walk with Jesus, that, that we're not just these puppets or these robots, but when we pray that God hears us, that we have access, that we get to boldly approach the throne of grace. And, and even Romans 8, you know this, for I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The veil's torn not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. You need to know today, the veil is torn. The barrier is broken down. Through Christ, you and I have access to the Father. And that's good news. The second thing is that the stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. We, we, we know this in, in uh, Matthew 27, Jesus is crucified and a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, he he offers up his brand new tomb that had never been used to have the body of Jesus laid in it. And now a tomb at this time, it wasn't just like a, you know, we, we bury people under the ground, but it was carved into rock. It was carved into the side of a hill or a mountain. And, um, the, the tomb would kind of be like this there in the beginning of the tomb. When you walk in, there'd be benches. And what they would do is they would, they would, wrap the body, they would embalm it with spices and stuff, and they would lay the body there to, to decompose. And then after the decom- de- decomposition took place, I think I used that right, uh, they would take the, the bones and the remainder and they would then put it in one of the alcoves and one of the ossuaries that were carved into, there were smaller chambers within it. And as you can imagine, that a decomposing body would produce stench. And so they would have a large stone that you could roll in front. Some estimates are a thousand pound stone that you would roll in this channel to block the entrance of the tomb. So animals couldn't get in and mess with the body so that thieves wouldn't come in or people wouldn't go in. And even times there was a, there was a window and someone when you could look in and see how far along the process was. And the stone was rolled away, Matthew 28. Verses one through four says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake. That's the second earthquake already. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear as they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Right? The, the leading priests, they said, hey, before they buried him, they said, hey, we remembered what his, what his disciples said, that hey, he's gonna raise from the dead on the third day. So, so Pilate sends guards to stand watch. They seal the tomb with, the, with his seal so that if you broke the seal, someone came along and tried to vandalize it, that they'd be killed. If the guards let down their guard and didn't guard it, they could be killed. You only protect things that are valuable, Right? So they're guarding the tomb and God sends an angel down and rolls the stone away. God didn't roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out. He wasn't stuck. Hey, let me out. You know, like it wasn't, he wasn't like waiting for something to happen. The stone was rolled away so that the disciples didn't have doubt. It was so they could walk in and they could see there was, there was freedom. There was, there was this realization that he wasn't there. Romans 8.35 says that can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Look, if you have doubts, I'm so glad you're here. We all do. And anyone who doesn't, that's another issue. <laughs> we all have doubts. There are some things that we will never fully understand on this side of heaven. Doubts don't define your faith. They actually help your faith grow. Because when you actually have doubts and you begin to investigate, you begin to see, like he rolled the stone away, says, hey, look, look, look inside, look in the tomb. But this idea of the stone, it represents this freedom that, couple of things that stand out. One, freedom that your past doesn't define your story. Your past, I don't care how broken your past is. Doesn't matter how shameful you are of your past. It doesn't matter what you did or what was done to you. The freedom that we find in Jesus is freedom that your past doesn't get to write your story. God does period. Yes, we were dead in sin, comma, but God. That God is the author, that there is freedom, that there is forgiveness, that, that he has made a way, not just for you to experience eternal presence of an almighty God when we confess him as Lord and Savior, but he gives us freedom while we walk planet earth. Freedom to use our story, to use our past, to give other people hope. So it gives us freedom that our past doesn't define our story. Think about it. Christianity isn't about being perfect. You know how? Look around the room. Not like, don't stare at a couple people because that'd be awkward, right? They'll stare back at you like, mm-hmm, amen to that, you know? Like, look at me. There's proof right here in this room that Christianity is not about being perfect. You know what it is? It's about people who are broken saying, you know what? There is a perfect God who rescued me, who redeemed me, who didn't just say it, but he went to the depths and grabbed the keys to death, hell, and the grave so that I may have life, that I may have freedom in Jesus' name. That's the story. 
Not the past, not what the enemy says. Secondly, is that your freedom from your doubt doesn't define the story. It's not blind faith. But, but pretty soon when you start pursuing answers to your question, you're, you're, you're inundated with mountains and mountains of evidence, of, of facts, of, of things. We, we talked about this even last Easter, but like you, you can't argue the facts. You, you, you look at the validity of, of God's word passed down through time, the number of manuscripts, the number of like archaeological digs. Like you, you look at the statistics of how life even exists on earth. You look at all that and you're like, it takes more faith to not believe in this than it does to believe in it. And the other thing you can't ever argue is you can't argue a changed life. Sometimes when people see you, they're like, you? You, Jesus? Like, you and Jesus? Like, I knew you in high school, and I don't know, I don't know about that, right? You can't argue it. Hey, I was, I was dead, but I met a man named Jesus who knew everything that I did and chose to forgive me. I have life. And thirdly, is that freedom from shame and guilt don't define your story. The author does. Um, if you are here today and you feel like the cliff notes, the, the, the book cover summary of your life is shame and guilt, that's not God writing your story. That's the enemy. Because that's not how a father speaks. Shame and guilt may be a part of it, but that's not the overwhelming part of the story. God's grace is sufficient. He is good and he is merciful. And his grace pulls us out of darkness into wonderful light. Let's keep reading. Verse five, as we conclude. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Say, hey, check it out for yourself. Get to the end of the doubt and see the truth. And thirdly, our statement is that the tomb is empty. Logic in the world would say, well, then the tomb is the end of the story, right? You're, you, you're born and then you die and that's the end of the story. But the beautiful thing about an empty tomb is that that's actually the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of the story, that, that death doesn't have the final period Death doesn't get to make the declaration over your life, but Jesus does. That he rose from the dead, that he came back to life. He didn't just have a nap. No, he really lived. He really died. He was really buried. But then on the third day, he rose from the dead. That in him, we have victory and we have life. He's the way. He's the truth, and he, most importantly, is the life. Not just everlasting life. That's, that's crucial. That's the most important part. We put our faith in Jesus. We're, we're on our way to heaven. But we also get to have purpose while we're here on planet Earth. 
We get to tell other people about it. We get to be a part of the God's story. We get to be a part of what he's doing in our heart and in our lives. And it's accessible to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. I, uh, I did something that I kind of am regretting lately. I, uh, my kids and my family, they love puzzles. And I bought this puzzle called the $2 million puzzle. It didn't cost me two million, it was 15 bucks, okay. You're like, man, ministry pays good. No. Um, uh, so I bought this puzzle. I originally bought it for my mom, but then we decided to open it because we're like, well, we'll get her one too. Um, so here's the deal. The puzzle is you put the puzzle together. It's a QR code. You scan the QR code and every puzzle wins money. It's like, hey, and they're giving away two puzzles, win a million dollars. I'm like, that's something fun to do with the kids. We enjoy puzzles. It's 500 pieces. And so uh, we start putting it together, but here's the catch. That's not what the puzzle looks like. You don't know what it looks like. In fact, it's just a QR code. In fact, here's a picture of what somebody else, yeah. But you can't replicate that because everyone is different. Yeah, exactly. So after three and a half grueling weeks of my family working on it, I wanna show you the progress that we've made on this puzzle. It's on my kitchen dining room table. There it is. (laughs) The knife is actually unrelated. Sorry. (laughs) I wasn't cutting some pieces. I'm not gonna make this work, you know. There's no holes in the box. I wasn't stabbing it in anger. Um, But I'm like, this is miserable. And because I love my mom, I don't think I'm gonna give her one. So somebody else, if you're like, if you get a puzzle from someone, like, it could be a present, it could be like, oh, hey, here you go. Um, but I'm like, this is ridiculous. I think, I'm wanting to put it back in the box, but I'm too stubborn, because I don't want to give up that easily. So we're gonna give it like, I don't know, three years, and we'll see. Um, but I know it's possible, because other pictures who are, people who are awesome, they put theirs together. I think they just photoshopped it, I'm convinced. But man, how, how, I was thinking about this, is like, how is it that the enemy has convinced people that life is hopeless? That you're just set on your own to wander this meaningless life without direction, without cause, without purpose, to figure out, and other people, they've got their life together and they post pictures of it, but you, you're broken. You're a bunch of mismatched pieces. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, yes, we are all broken. But God has given us life. The promise of eternal life and the reality that every day we get to choose to follow him. We get to choose to allow God to put the period where it belongs, the exclamation point where it belongs, and the comma where it belongs as well. Can you imagine if one of the miners is about to get into the capsule and he's like, well, hold on, hold on. Are you sure this is the only way? I don't know. Maybe there's a hidden tunnel we didn't find, you know, the 69 other days we were here. (laughs) How, How do I know this is right? And they didn't just bring them up to them and have a funeral at the surface. And they brought them up and I can guarantee that all these men had a new lease on life because they were thought that they were dead, but now they were alive. And as we've been preparing and praying for this day, our whole team, we had this overwhelming sense that this is, this is not about a production. This is not about anything, but it's about what the Lord is 
is doing in, in our hearts and lives. The beautiful thing is that from Jesus' very first words of come follow me to the last words of well done my good and faithful servant, there is a series of steps. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus is it's not a destination. If you're looking for a trophy, you're looking for a mark, you're looking for a place to stand following Jesus, is not that. It's a journey in which we get challenged and we get to grow every single day in a a choice to take another step. And I'm gonna actually invite the the band back up. We wanna end differently today because we believe that everyone has the next step. And what we want to do is we wanna come alongside those that are boldly saying, hey, today today is my next step. For some, your next step may be seeking reconciliation in marriage. Things seem bleak, things seem over, but the Spirit of the Lord keeps prompting you to fight, to forgive, to allow healing, to work at it. And so today, the, the truth and the reality of the resurrection is that if, if, if death doesn't have the final word, then why in the world would, would I allow the enemy and lies have the final word of my marriage? And so today, your next step, your, your, your one step is, God, I'm going to trust your ways. For some of you, it's healing and forgiveness. Not for what you've done, but for what others did to you. And you've been carrying that weight for a really, 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 really long time. A weight that God never intended you to carry. And today, maybe your next step may just be laying it down and saying, God, I forgive this person because you have. And I don't give it authority in my life anymore. For some people, it may be breaking free from an addiction that has held you captive and you realize today that there is freedom in Christ. For some, you, you, you need wisdom and your next step is, is, is asking the Lord to, to guide you. For some of you, you've drifted and, and today is the day in which you're coming back and God, I wanna, I wanna have this life. I wanna have purpose in my life. I wanna follow you with my everyday life and see what you can do through me and in me beautiful thing is that for some people in this room today, today is day one. Today you get to make the most important step of your life. To ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And here's what I know about my God. He's good. And he's faithful. And his word and his promise which he will never break. Says that anyone who confesses the name of Jesus, that believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to willingly lay down his life on the cross, be buried, and on the third day is from the grave. If anyone believes that and confesses him as Lord and Savior, that he will be saved. Team down here that we want to come alongside 
and pray and believe that as you take your next step, as God is leading you, whether today is the day of salvation for you, whether today is the day of forgiveness, whether today is the day of reconciliation, whether today is the day of wisdom, today is the day of new life, whatever your next step is, we want to believe in faith and in boldness that God is ordaining them. So we pray with me, Father, we thank you for the promise of resurrection. You that in you and in you alone we have life and have it to the full. That God, you came to seek those that were lost, to bring back the captives, to restore sight to the blind. God, help us to see, help us to see the joy of our salvation in the finished work of the cross. we know and believe that as we take these steps of obedience and boldness that you're going to honor that. So God, give us the courage to do that. If that's us. If that's us that you're speaking to right now, Lord. Give us the boldness to take that step. We honor you, Lord. We worship you. It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.